Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor. Great NBA season. Hey, check out if your favorite team's playing at home, you get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on NBA tickets. All you have to do is use promo code BSNBA. I'm guessing you don't have to do this for Mavericks tickets. I was gonna Brian. say I was gonna say, David, how much do you wanna how much you want to spend on Mavericks tickets this Twenty dollars off Mavericks tickets might be minus ten dollars. I was gonna say they pay, uh, you, they pay you fifteen bucks. Download the Seeky app or go right to Seeky.com. Also brought to you by one of our oldest friends, Simply Safe. They protect your home and family with an HD security camera, motion, glass break, entry sensors. They have everything. Order online in minutes, get it that week, set it up in under an hour, no tools, no hard wiring. You'll be protected twenty four seven. For just $19.99 a month. Right now, Simply Safe has a special holiday sale, pre holiday sale, sorry. For all my listeners, visit simplysafebs.com. Simply Safe with two eyes. Simplysafebs.com. Right now to check it out. Hurry, the offer ends soon. And we're brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network's newest podcast, One Shining Podcast. Yeah. Amazing. Titus and Tate. <laughs> Those adorable millennial kids who love college basketball and a whole bunch of other stuff. Not just a college basketball pod, but mostly a college basketball pod. Yeah. But they're going to talk about young guys stuff, too. Uh, we wanted to spin them off. Titus needs a carrot dangling in front of him at all times. <laughs> and that's really the reasoning behind it. But awesome logo. Uh, premiered yesterday in like the top six in iTunes. Incredible. Yeah. iTunes does reward the new subscribers yes. but still you want to you want to get in that top 10 when you launch so that was impressive i'm really proud of these young kids from the streets of indiana and north carolina <laughs> one shining podcast subscribe now and don't forget the ringer.com that's where you can find pieces from me and brian and david shoemaker who's here as well yeah i wrote uh an old school nfl mailbag that actually was like i was throwing like 97 miles an hour in this one it, it hit a lot of my favorites uh brian wrote about Harvey and how he changed entertainment writing in yeah. our time. You wrote about entertainment S SVU? Yeah, exactly. And uh, Shoemaker wrote about the Ric Flair documentary, which we're going to talk about at the tail end of this podcast. Coming up, Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker. But first, Pearl Jam. All right, fellas. Shoemaker, are you working? You still have stuff to do? I feel like I ripped you away from I always your have actual stuff to job. Do. You know this, man. Um, no, I'm, I'm, there's no, no more art requests in for a day. So we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. It's basically sports reporters, but we didn't want to call it that because Jason Gay couldn't do it today. Yeah. You guys host the Press Box on Channel 33, which is kind of becoming frequent. It is every it's kind week. It's coming once a week, talking about stuff. Proud They're of both of you. Surprisingly, there's been lots to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the year of stuff to talk about. Um, I want to talk about Thursday Night Football first. Guys got hurt yesterday. I did not see the game. I had to go to a dinner party. I was like, ah, oh, what, what am I going to miss? Yeah, I missed neither. the end of the Seahawks season, basically. Yeah. Richard Sherman blew out his Achilles. was on the bench saying goodbye to people. Um, where does this go? Where does Thursday Night Football go, Brian? First, Do we have it four years from now? First of all, I didn't watch it either, and I just consume Thursday Night Football now by reading angry color rush tweets smart that's that's my that's my Probably the it. best way to digest it you know it's it's really tough right because it's the the money thing is the only hang-up right yeah. fans don't seem to like it players don't seem to like it uh owners like the money 
Gamblers don't like it. Sal, even Sal and I don't gamble on Thursday night football. We'll gamble <laughs> on anything. We don't gamble on it. No. I feel a little bit listening to the Seahawks. The Seahawks needed no reason to be outspoken, right? One of the most yeah. outspoken teams like ever. Yeah. But I feel this is a little bit post-Kaepernick where if you don't like something in NFL now, you just say it. Yeah. You don't hold back at all. You're just like, this is criminal. This is bullshit. We it's don't want to do this anymore. It kind of fits in with the millennial generation, though. Mm-hmm. Just people speaking up. But yeah. I feel the I don't of, like this. Well, I want this to change. But in this case, they're right. They shouldn't like Thursday Night Football. I mean, there's there's definitely like a Greg Popovich vibe to some of this too, where he's just like, I'm going to rest my players. Right? If you give us back to backs, we're just like, I I'm, I just disagree. Right. Um, and obviously, the NFL the NFL players or or coaches are put in a much tougher position because there's 16 games. I mean, you can't just like you can't sit people out. But I bet that they would if they had the opportunity. You know. I don't know what the answer is. Should I know I was in the car yesterday and it was fourth and nine for the Cardinals and they were behind and the announcers go, this is the right move right here. And I'm thinking like, Drew Stanton's the quarterback. Fourth no. and nine is never the right move. If Jay- <laughs> it just sounded so awful. I'm glad I missed it. What were you saying? No, I was just going to say Schefter tweeted out like the Thursday night injury list from this year. Yeah. And it's just terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. And well, it's it like there's no already sense. a huge injury list anyway in the NFL. Yeah, everybody says that playing a football game is basically like being in a car crash. Yep. And to, so you're having two car crashes in five days. Like even soccer is careful about this, about scheduling games when they have the Champions League. They're always worried about having the game and then the Champions League game on a Wednesday and these guys playing, just running around, like barely having the same physical contact. For some reason, the thing that shocked me the most was Richard Sherman just walking around telling his teammates that he ruptured his Achilles. Like, where are we in this world that Richard Sherman's just like, yeah, I blew up my Achilles. Like, no big deal. I'm just going to hug my teammates. Yeah. I mean, that's probably in shock, right? Yeah, I guess so. But to be that aware, I mean, I know these athletes are aware of their bodies, but like, that's a, he that's said a life changing right injury. after it happened. Yeah. yeah. He knew immediately. It was well, really funny. And he, even afterwards he was talking just like, ah, oh, you know, I knew it. I planted, you know, I usually don't cut like that and boom. But they said his Achilles was bothering him the whole year. That he was just waiting for it to, to play. He said that he was just waiting for it to go all year long. I mean, that's just insane. What a train wreck. And, and he's not have, the only one. I mean, the Seahawks are screwed now. I mean, it's just, there's, there's, it's, it's nuts. Man. The thing I don't understand about Thursday night football is it's so solvable by going to the 18 week season and having the two bye weeks. Yeah. There's an easy way to fix this. All they would have to do is add a week and construct the Thursday night so that you always have 10 days between like the Sunday and the Thursday. I mean, Thanksgiving's crazier because they've been doing Thanksgiving forever, which emboldened them to think they could do Thursday night football. But mm-hmm. sometimes you'll have the Lions playing at, you know, four o'clock on a Sunday and then they're playing at 1230 on a Thursday. <laughs> yeah. That's probably the most insane. Of the all Cowboys used to love it because they felt they got the little mini, mini, the mini, the mini bye week, uh, you know, like late in the season. It was nice. Right. right. You got all geared up for Thursday. You beat, you played the late slot on Thursday and then you got the little bye week, but it was once a year. Well, it's also definitely, uh, definitely an advantage for the team that's home. Yeah. Especially in Thanksgiving. Yeah. But you always get the, the road game. team who's, they play on a Sunday, then they have to fly somewhere. It's Thanksgiving. Their family's mad at them. Just, <laughs> just sounds awful. You just having angry phone calls with your wife the whole time that you're away and stuff. Yeah. She's like, what's going on? So you think four years from now this is done? I just, well, how are we going to get, what are we going to do with the $500 million? Like, what are we going to do with that? See that, but that's the thing. You can have the $500 million if you add the extra bye week. And if then you you're getting a whole extra week of football anyway. Okay. Let's do that then. That's, right, 
Because I, I don't care about it, and I love that whenever it's talked about, it's like, well, the players are going to have to give up the money. You know, if that's like, it's never the owners are going to have to give up the money and just pay the players more money, right? That's just never. Yeah, God within, forbid the owners give up. Yeah, anyway. right. That's never considered. But yeah, if we we do eighteen, sure, as long as we play sixteen games. Do you think that the the uh, I don't know what the right I almost want to say the Harvey Weinstein stuff, but that's kind of belittles how awful all this stuff is. Yeah, word um, choice has been very difficult I don't, over the past several weeks. Whatever uh, this wave, I guess, this horrible wave that's happening in these past few weeks, when is it going to trickle into sports? I, w- I would have figured that NFL owners were like the runaway favorites for mm. to be involved in some of this stuff, like these aggressively drunk-on-power guys who are just used to bossing people around. It just has not come into sports yet, but it feels like it's going to at some point, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like it will, we're weird. You know, it's funny. People were talking about tweeting. Someone was tweeting about this morning, like, why are we just talking about actresses, you know, and, yeah. and actors? And why are we not talking about all these other industries in America? We're going where the money is. Of course, you know, that's natural. But sports is also where the money is. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I feel if anything, maybe. God, I mean, just to think of the, like the payouts that could be found, the deals made behind the thing. I just. Well, the yeah. other thing, here's the difference between if this happened in sports and if it happened in Hollywood. In Hollywood, you lose your career. Yeah. And whether you lose it for five years like Mel Gibson did or whether you just lose it and it never comes back, you're losing it for a while at least. In sports, you, don't, you can't lose your team. Once you have your team, you have it. They can't force you to get rid of it. Like They want to get rid of Donald Sterling for... Forever, and then they finally had the, their little window three years ago. But like, but that window was the. I mean, is that that much different than news breaking about like you know, is that sort of like sexual abuse? Like, the, no, the but window I, would 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 exist. But I think he could have kept the team if he really fought for it. I think <clears> that could have been. Yeah, he could have been in lawsuits for seven years trying to keep it. Right, he just basically him and his family decided, you know what, Donald's getting up in age. I'm going to cash out. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of money on that. They weren't like shoving him out. They were nudging him, but it was ultimately his choice to get shoved out. Sure. I just think it's really hard to get rid of an owner. And if we see this happen with an owner, I'm going to be fascinated to see how that plays out. You know, Mark Cuban is one of my favorite human beings and I'm not attributing any like imaginary malice to him. Uh, but he's a good example of somebody who would just, he's young, he's vital, he's rich, he sees the value, he would see the value of holding on to his team. If someone like him were caught up in this, yeah, they, he'd fight He'd fight for 20 years to I hang on to the Jared team. Jones, I think any of these guys would. I just feel, even if it's not specifically this kind of stuff we're talking about, just anything we learn about the owners is always more shocking than what you could have imagined. Like Bob yeah. McNair. Like we have like one shot of Bob McNair in an owners meeting, he calls players inmates. <laughs> right. I mean, like, oh, okay. That was one quote. I mean, just yeah, just been... imagine what, like, he talks like that on his cell phone. That's a meeting with a ton of people who can all go to the press and share exactly what you say. I'm mean, just like, that. wow, okay. Inmates. It's It's been a lot of confirming what we always thought these people might be saying behind closed doors seems to be what's happened, not just in sports, but in all these different industries and politics. And it really started with the Trump-Billy Bush stuff. Last year, it was like, yeah, this conversation is what I kind of would have expected him to say if he didn't know he was miked. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird because Trump, half of it's on the record. And I also feel with Jerry Jones, half of it is on the record. 
You know, the stuff like, I can't believe Jerry said that isn't like some overheard V. Stiviano thing. Right. It's just what Jerry said to the reporters when they were gathered around him, all the stuff he said about Zeke. I was staying next to him at training camp when he said, there's no he said, she said in the Zeke Elliott thing. Like, no accusation of domestic violence. Well, we know there is. Right. And you are either lying or willfully misleading or we're into some weird territory with you where we just can't believe anything that comes out of your mouth. The stuff he said this week, Zeke, Dan, you know, I've never, I'm against domestic violence. Absolutely. Come on. The guy who hired Greg Hardy. You gotta be kidding me. That's, that's just the on the record stuff. Yeah. Jones seems the most kind of off the reservation of all these owners. He's all over the place. He says one thing, he contradicts himself a week later. He's kind of, he make, make a good president, actually. Uh, Dallas, he's just all over the place. Dallas is getting into the, do we need, and I'm using a direct quote from George Dunham, one of those portrait hosts there last week, do we need to take the keys? Yeah. From Jerry. Are we in the Al Davis zone? Like, are we in just the... But if we are in the Al Davis zone, this will still go on for another eight years before he somebody <laughs> takes the keys. It'll have to be one of his sons, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the the salient question is whether or not somebody's already taken the keys. If Stephen Jones is already doing everything except for the stuff so. out in public, yeah. I, think I, mean, this week, I, I think this week proved it. Yeah. Well, what you see with with some of the powerful men we've already talked about is that the most, uh, I mean, the the best way to take the keys away is to not let them know you've taken the keys away. Right? <laughs> right. I mean, that's the only way to keep it going. So you know, maybe we'll know when that happens, and maybe we won't. Your car's in the garage; they've just taken out the spark plugs exactly, or whatever, exactly. so you can go sit in it a couple of times a day. That's kind of what the Celtics did with Red back very carefully in the late 80s early 90s yeah. where they were hiring people but it's still hey red we still care and then they let him make the joe forte pick as late as uh 2001 <laughs> they had three first rounders red really liked joe forte and they were like all right this is red's guy and then that was a disaster we missed tony parker and after that they took the keys craig it was mean, 12 years uh yeah tate is texting uh, forte right now to let tate, him making that joke is available. It will be tough with Jerry because his speaking style is so loopy and disconnected yeah. uh, that he he all Jerry talks like that already. Jerry's talked like that his whole career, his whole life, you know. Well, we never thought him and Goodell would be at odds like this. This has been you know, the most tumultuous behind the scenes NFL season probably ever. The mo- the most things going on, but we the owners were always aligned with the commissioner. Yeah. And now this has changed. And now you have Multiple reports this week about Goodell is trying to, you know, keep his job, get an extension, and Jones is forming this cabal to take him down. And uh, it's it's basically everything I've ever dreamed of. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> it's like, wow, we're really assessing Roger Goodell's job performance. He's been an absolute train wreck the entire time he's but been the commissioner. The NFL has a magical way of taking of like having there be no winners in these situations. Right. I mean, it's like right. it's like watching Goodell and Ezekiel Elliott square off. It's like I don't I, there, there is no good guy in this art in this situation. It's True. the same thing. It's like now we're like what well, we're rooting for Goodell to keep his job because he was like he seemingly was sort of on the player side in the kneeling debate in the last thing. I mean, kind of like, sort of kind of like kinda. kneeling. <laughs> no, but I know. But like, like him versus Jerry is not a it's not a fight with a with like a moral victor. That's what scares me. Is that what we're doing is we're getting somebody who's kind of like Goodell, but isn't like more acquiescent to Jerry. 
Yeah. Like, is that what right. we, that could be worse? It's basically a Bud Selig. Yeah. I'm sure Jerry's probably wants to throw his hat in the that ring. That was the Ryan's conspiracy theory yeah. from a month ago. He was like, is this possibly what Jerry's doing? And it, I was like, it's yeah. happened. We saw it in baseball. Bud Selig ran baseball. He was an owner. But I just think Jerry was like, I don't think Jerry would want to waste the time, waste his time. No, he wouldn't. I think he'd, he'd make him make money. I mean, he just like, it'd be, it'd be a waste of his time. He didn't want to be a politician anyway. He just wants to be Jerry. I want to know who the who the Goodell fans are. <laughs> like Goodell and Batman are the two, not just commissioners, but sports figures who it's like, who's their base? Who's like Batman's my dude, man. When he canceled the NHL season in 05, that saved this league. Have they polled Goodell? Is there like an 11%? Oh, is, there, is there like a, a holdout? Like there's, you know, like Trump is never going to get below thirty, whatever. Yeah. Will Goodell just never get below like eight percent? Are there well, like eight percent of people that are just happy, <laughs> totally satisfied? No, because well, there's no base. There's no, his, I mean. his constituency is whichever, whichever you know, chunk of the owners that he's decided to align himself with that day. And yeah, that, I mean, that's how it should be. I mean, that's his job. The only people that were really with him was when he like cracked down on the Patriots. And uh, he weirdly got people for like. It was like, minutes. oh yeah, get out, yeah. And then, but that that kind of ended once, you know, people realized that he was completely incompetent with that. I don't know, like he would almost be better off pulling a Trump and like going all in on these players are going to stand for the flag. That'd be the first time he could get <laughs> get fans from the corner of the universe that believes players should stand he for the flag. Could be more like Roger Goodell, in other words, he can go full <laughs> Roger Goodell. I don't, I, even, don't, don't even need to use the Trump blank. Like, that's Roger Goodell anyway. Right. Or or just, like, you know, make a chart, like a Ross Perot-style chart of how the re- how revenue has increased since he took over. And just put that on an easel and just be like, I'll be in my I'll be at home by my pool if you want to call me and offer me a new contract. Like, that's it. I'm, I'm walking until then. But I don't even know if he can take credit for that. He, they just had more bidders for the NFL. No, of course not. But, like, that's they his argument five for keeping five networks bidding job. and the price went up. Like, I, I think you and I and all three of us could have probably figure out how to play five networks against each other. Yeah. And it might have been the last great contract, right? I mean, there might not be a TV deal that's that amazing where everybody gets played at the same time. Uh, By the way, I started to see the analogies creeping in about Roger Goodell and his dad, Charlie, Mm. who went down, you know, to Nixon and his cronies because he was opposed to Vietnam War, you know, senator from New York. Like, there's no analogy to be drawn here. Like, there's there's zero. Whatever, if if and when Roger Goodell goes down, it will not be... (laughs) A moment of conscious, like opposing the Vietnam War. Let's just throw that out. I mean, he keeps that little poster Nobody's on his wall care. and stuff. And, 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 come on. Come well, on, Kevin man. Clark wrote on The Ringer today about this is the first time it feels like football might actually lose stuff. Mm-hmm. That we're heading toward this world where there's a Kaepernick lawsuit coming. I wrote today that I, I thought Mike McDermott from Rounders after a 72-hour poker binge being completely unprepared could still win the cap collusion lawsuit. Like, yeah. it's a layup. <laughs> just have to show video of all the crappy quarterbacks that have played this year. But that's going to be a big deal, especially if they start asking for emails and, you know, oh, texts and discovery. things like that. Like, this, if this is a $200 million lawsuit <clears throat> that he's like, you guys have taken my livelihood. So they have that. Yes. They have the concussions things, which have not changed. They have the player safety thing. They have the CBA coming up. The ratings. Jim Miller reported that ESPN is potentially not going to be in the mix for the contract in 2021, which, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure that matters yet because you got Amazon and these people looming, but yeah. it's just tumultuous times to be... Put it this way. If I owned one of the 32 teams, I would sell right now. This would be my moment to sell. This I, would is look the, at, I would look at the landscape and i go, I'm out. 
I'm out. If you don't like the Arizona Cardinals, I'm, like, I'm out. I mean, you get a stadium, you get my team, I'll take $3 billion, I'm out. This is when this is when you get the three billion. Yeah, and it won't be three billion in ten years. I don't. I mean, it could or be. It's uncertain. You could be in nine different lawsuits in ten years. And what is football in ten years? How excited are you about owner discovery? That's in this court. Pro- remember what we found in Brady's? Remember we found in Brady's email oh that was so God. amazing. Imagine Jerry Jones's like texts and email. Yeah. On, if what, discovery, if if discovery. You know, if, there, if we, unless we have a sea of broken cell phones and, and compromised mainframes, I feel like you could win a law, like you could win almost any lawsuit against a 70 something rich white dude, because no matter what, the discovery there is going to be insane. If like they, the stuff you could find in his email and text messages is just going to be off the charts. <laughs> any of those guys. If they broke into my dad's cell phone, who turned 70 in a couple weeks, it would yeah. just be a lot of him misspelling words and <laughs> saying, I can't open the link you sent me okay, and then complaining right. about Bill Belichick. Right. Please call. <laughs> yeah. And raving about Kyrie Irving. <laughs> hey, how's it going over there? I, I think the, uh, the owners ones will be a little more interesting. Oh, um, yeah. Can I tell you, by the way, if as a, as a Patriots fan, Cowboy fan, speaking to Patriots fan here and David is at least half a Cowboys fan. <laughs> um, how miserable it is to be in the anti Goodell team. Not because I don't believe that he should have power to punish players. I don't at all. But your fan base just turns completely nuts. Yeah. I mean, like relatives of mine, the things they've said about the accuser, the things they've talked, the way they talk. That got dark. It, it's very dark. Yeah. And it's pretty awful. Dude, I hate it. I mean, I honestly just, I can't, I cannot. There are members, family members I can't talk to about this issue. I'm just like, we're, we're just not going to, we're not going to be able to talk about Zeke. It's going to be quite a Thanksgiving for Cowboys fans <laughs> between politics and Zeke and Jerry I'm and Roger. Last year when Trump won, I'm, I am from the state of Texas. After Trump won, it took the Cowboys beating the Steelers, scoring three touchdowns in the last two minutes for me to, to open up the phone lines again. That Maybe, was, that was the coming together. I don't yeah. know what this year's is going to be. No, Maybe this is where, this is finally leading to our Texas seceding and starting its own country. <laughs> So Let's always go. excited you for still that have your old ID, David. Can we can we get in? I mean, it's just tough. We're in a world where like the the you know it's you, you talk about your relatives, and that's true. That's part of fandom that we can't get away from. But there's also just like the online trolls or the people, the voices that that would be easy to ignore in a previous era. I mean, you call me half a Cowboys fan. Everyone, well, I mean, people may know the other half is Carolina Panthers. That's where all my family is. But like when Cam, when Cam had that you know press conference moment with uh, the reporter Jordan Rodriguez, I mean, like half of Panthers Twitter was just running her down for two days. Ugh. You know, I mean, just just a mess, man. It seems like it's never been easier for groups to mobilize for better and worse. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes you wonder. Yeah. Like, you just even look back eight years ago, it feels like it was forty five years ago. It <laughs> really does. It's amazing. You, you wouldn't even eight years ago. You wouldn't even know. 90% of this stuff, unless a friend of yours stumbled across it on a website and forwarded it to you. There yep. was no other way to see it, in the, or unless a, one of the blogs wrote about it. But you would have to go find it. Now you just scroll your Twitter feed or Nuzzle or wherever, and you're going to see everything. Shoemaker and I were talking about this yesterday. We were like, so we spent the last couple months at 5 Eastern. We got like crazy, mind blowing political news that you would have never believed in your life. And now the last month has been replaced by Hollywood news yeah predator alleged predator news and it's like you know louis yesterday and just like you know just there's this moment like oh my everybody's looking at twitter going oh my god yeah well especially the louis stuff you knew was coming for a couple of hours before it came yeah and people are weeks. just kind of waiting for it it was, it was like uh 
like a Netflix show coming out, the Louis Hollywood Reporter piece or New York Times piece that we all were like, what's this? What's going to be in this? Yeah, when they canceled the premiere, that was the big yeah, tip that was off the like flag. we have that was like the like the yeah, it was like the trailer before the movie. It's like we just have to sit by our computers until this thing happens. You wrote about this. Do you think? Is there a re-entry plan for any of these people? It feels like Weinstein, I would say no. No way. But the thing is, like, pretty much anybody can just play the addiction card. Right. And that seems to be the one thing that's at least somewhat forgiving. But I think that I don't know what Weinstein and Spacey can do because... I was talking to Kim Masters yesterday. Who's yeah. great, right? And barracuda. I've been reading her since I was in college. I'm such a huge fan of hers. Um, she's like, first of all, there's a couple things here. One is we're making up all these rules on the fly. Yeah. There's no rules for this stuff. Like who gets let back in, who doesn't, what you report, what you don't. Like they're all these Hollywood reporters in this terra incognita. Yeah. The second part is it's a continuum of behavior, right? There is Harvey Weinstein is alleged to do X. And she the gave example she gave me last night is like if somebody makes a really weird phone call that's kind of icky and threatening and that gets reported. Is that person out for ever? Is that person out for five years? Nobody knows. Nobody knows the answer to that. Well, people, nobody ever thought Mel Gibson was coming back. Sure. When that, the days after that whole crazy rant and drunk, all that stuff. He was in purgatory. It was was done. It was over. It was never happening again. And now he's in Big Daddy 2. He's sort of back. Yeah, he's playing Dad parts. He's playing Dad parts. He's playing, he's in comedies. He's directing movies again. He did, yeah. A couple small things. I still don't know how he even... Did he? I guess he apologized, but how did he even repair those relationships? I mean, I think what so it's so hard to talk about. I think I think that you know the public at large expects some sort of show of contrition, yeah, whatever that would be. And but there, I mean, there's obviously going to be some people that never get over it. You know, the people that were still. I mean, I'm not even going to name any examples because I feel like I'm just going to like inflame this conversation even more. But, um, but yeah, I mean, and there's a, Brian earlier was talking about the concept of expectations, which I think is, you know, I mean, if, if I think it would be a different situation if the New York times reported that like Harvey Weinstein had done the things that Louis CK did, you know, cause they're different people with different sets of rumors surrounding them and expectations surrounding them. So it's really hard to imagine how somebody comes, comes back in the traditional sense. I think that there's a separate conversation about does the traditional sense even matter because Louis could release the next season of, you know, FX's Louis on his website and he would make a ton of money. You know, I mean, people, it's not like you're going to not watch it. You're going to, at least for the thrill for the, you know, what the hell factor, you're going to go watch it. So I don't, I mean, he's, he's a very interesting case as far as the comeback goes. What happens to the art is the, the great unknown with all this stuff, you know, like what happens to all the Louis comedy specials and this FX show that was probably one of the best shows of this decade. Is it just, is it just vaporized? What happens to House of Cards? Do what happens if more stuff about the Mad Men creator comes out? So we just now those shows go go into their own sort of artistic purgatory and they don't exist anymore either. Yeah, we saw it with Cosby a little bit, right? We saw it with Cosby a lot. I don't. The Cosby Show is gone. Remember when you turned on like basic cable and Cosby yeah. was on like every night? By the way, the Cosby Show would have had a whole other run with this streaming era that it did not have. Mm-hmm. Good point. You know? Like if Friends would not be on Netflix if one of the six Friends stars had been accused of all the monstrosities that Cosby did, it would just be gone. It would have been yeah. vaporized. So. Yeah. I, I think all this stuff disappears, which is a very strange thing to think about. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, obviously there's going to be some 
it's impossible to foresee. I think Louis, again, Louis is uh, in a tough place because it's so personal and it, it's so, I mean, it's, you know, you can, it's easy to draw the line. Um, and then, you know, with someone like Cosby or, you know, it's a much, it's, you know, the, the offense is such that like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta just sort of like black that out for a while. You know, wine scenes for a while, like a hundred years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you just can't. You, I mean, it, it's it's off the table. Wine scenes a really interesting case because he was such a power broker, but we're not going to punish any of his films. And here's the scary part: we're somebody I was talking to this week said we're in the low hanging fruit portion of yeah. this. All these people we've talked about, pretty much, yeah, um, they would have been high draft picks. If they would have been very high draft picks. What happens when we get the holy shit guys? You know, yeah, like and that and that will happen. I just don't think there's any way. You know, with all the rumors out there and all that stuff, that there's not going to be people that are just like, oh my God. And well, what you wrote about today, I thought, you know, we've seen pivot to video this year, and now we're seeing pivot to breaking reporting in entertainment, which is just not really ever. No. We've had it. It's never really gone in the direction of this is now kind of a business model, for lack of a better word, because it is. These people are galvanized behind this, not just because they want to break news and, and, um, raise the prestige of their site and credibility, all that stuff. But also if you look at the most read stories on any of those websites, it's the most read story. Totally. Yeah. And th- this has become for lack of a better word, a little bit of a, a business. Sure. I mean, it was a tiny genre of entertainment reporting, right? Yeah. These kind of story, like a Charlie Sheen or a, you know, you had some mad scandals, you had yeah. kind of things, um, trials. Now it is the main event. It really is. Like you look at all these sites. Quick break to talk about ZipRecruiter. Another one of our favorites. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your best your job to find the best candidates? Shoemaker was looking for best candidates for a while. <laughs> Finally found some good ones. Finding great talent can be tough with ZipRecruiter. Post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Do you get more emails or calls, Brian? Uh, emails. By far. Yeah. I'm, I'm like about... Mostly f- from fantasy. 50 to 1 emails? <laughs> yeah. Simply screen rate and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results right now. My listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Is this the weirdest year since you've been alive? Yeah, um, undoubtedly. I used to get. Is ma- it just? Is it weird to us because these? This has hit basically all the things we care about, or is it legitimately the weirdest year since we've been alive? I used to get so mad at those tweets. It would be, "Damn you, 2016! Yeah, you claim the rock star I loved." You know, I was like, "Come on, man! It's every year is like this." But maybe 2017 actually deserves those tweets. Yeah, 2016 just had a lot of death and surprise. In 2017 or 2016, man, 2017 has just been just dark. Yeah. We're not done. I remember (laughs) six weeks. I used to wake up and look at my iPhone and think, oh, I wonder if a trade happened today. Or (laughs) I wonder, I hope nobody from, you know, Grantland or The Ringer, wherever I was working, emailed me. Yeah. And now I look at my iPhone first, like, I hope something didn't happen. 
It's a weird way to wake up. It is. I used to have, yeah. My, I mean, my my greatest anxiety was waking up and seeing my phone full of messages because the Ultimate Warrior died, or like like a professional right. wrestler died in in my sleep. Um, but yeah, now it's like almost every day you wake up to like twenty messages about just some catastrophe in the world. So one thing that has put a hop in my step, for lack of a better word, is the the uh, JFK files, which has which awesome. uh, they re- they released a bunch. But then they held off a bunch. And it seemed like the one thing Trump was going to get right all year, and then he couldn't even get that right. I and was going to say, this is arguably Trump's... Like, this would have been his finest moment. But like then his a whole unifying of, moment. Like, I didn't stop the release of the JFK files. Right. But then it stopped. But then <laughs> a bunch a bunch yesterday came out. And, uh, you know, I'm... JFK conspiracy stuff is one of my all-time internet deep dives. It yeah. really is why we created the internet. Is this the last blast of JFK conspiracy talk? This this release would this be it? No, we because, had the 50th anniversary. I've yeah. seen moments like the Stone movie, you know, various people dying, all that stuff. But is this really the blast? Do you think? I think this will be. So, some stuff came out yesterday that I thought was was fascinating. But basically, it's like it seems like the CIA, the CIA really did kill JFK. <laughs> what? It really Whoa. does. Whoa. It's really Whoa. starting to seem that way. It's starting to seem Do like... Do you have a link? It seems like Lee Harvey Oswald was just undeniably had all kinds of CAA connections and, and almost definitely worked with them. All right. The Dallas mayor seems like he had real CAA connections yes. and might have even worked for the CIA. That was a big thing from yesterday. The parade route was supposedly secret and nobody knew the parade route except for a couple of people. And yet, if the Dallas mayor had CIA connections... And he knew the parade route and you could put people in the right spots. The big thing that came out yesterday that I, I don't know whether it came out yesterday and I never saw it, but I'm pretty sure it did was the autopsy photos. Um, some stuff I hadn't seen and it really does seem like it's just unescapable that he got shot from the front. It's unescapable at this point. He got shot from one of the, at least one of those shots. And I think the kill shot came from either the front or the front right. There's no way it could have come from where Oswald was. It's just impossible. And it's like, anytime you've ever seen a movie ever, when a guy gets shot in the head, sorry, this is so graphic, everybody guy gets shot in the head. The stuff doesn't come out the front. It comes out the back. Sure. That's every time. Think of any movie you've ever seen where anybody gets shot in the head, comes flying out of the back of the head. That's what happened to JFK. Yeah. This is, he, he jerked to the left and the whole back of his head basically exploded and all his brains came out of the back of his head. Again, I apologize for being gross, but that's what happened. And he had, um, basically an exit wound in his neck, which I think it was the Oswald shot. Yeah. He had an entry wound in his chest. And then he had an exit wound in the back of his head, and it's clear that there were at least two people shooting at him. Then, plus, you talk about the John Conley shot. At least four bullets hit that car from two different directions. Yeah. I'm convinced. I was going to ask if Bill James has chimed in today. Have you been? Have, I I think Bill James is afraid to chime lately. I think he's gotten into some, <laughs> he's had a he's had a weird year. Twitter's not a great medium for <laughs> Bill James, uh, but yeah, it does seem like the CIA stuff is kind of overwhelming. I don't know if you guys ever watched a video. There's somebody did a video. I'm going to say in the late seventies of people think the shots came from the grassy knoll, but actually there's this whole other spot on the right side of the grassy knoll where there was a sewage drop 
I, remember, I vaguely remember visiting that. People yes. thought either somebody stood in that, but it's a, like a really clear shot, and the angle would have been like the perfect shot at for that last one. And and then a lot of people ran up to that spot after. I'm con- I'm convinced the CAA killed them. You've walked around there, right? Wow. Plaza. I've walked around there. I can't. My wife and I have been talking about going. What anniversary do you think is good to visit DA Plaza? Well, so <laughs> wedding so anniversary tenth, yeah. or JFK anniversary? No, I was going to say wedding. Have you guys ever done a deep dive on on the doctored Zabruder film? No. Ooh. Oh, it's a hundred percent doctored. Hundred percent. They gave them they gave them the raw copies, and it just basically disappeared for a while, and then came back, and it was doctored in a way that they didn't realize 50 years from now we'd have better technology but time life doctored or the cia or where it's unclear but that but even the person who examined it and then they interviewed him like 14 years later and this is in some of the redacted stuff that came out yesterday where uh he's basically like yeah the people seem to all agree that the car stopped or came very close to stopping yeah and the zapruder film isn't a film it's just a series of pictures right so it's very easy to just remove the frames. And people and the guy who inspected it, who was interviewed fourteen years later, was like, Yeah, there there's definitely frames missing. I don't know what happened to the frames. I, I, I don't I spent a lot of time on conspiracy theory uh, corners of the internet, so I don't want to sound like I'm being dismissive. But what would have been the what what is the government or the CIA's interest in faking a film or faking and like the exit entrance wounds during the autopsy rather than just like destroying all of the evidence. Like why would they like, what, what does it help them to have this like certain to be like this fake evidence that will be I think just they thought found they could out. get away with it. But would if they, I mean, they could definitely have gotten away with, we burned everything. Like everything was in a car crash and disappeared. You mean like what Roger Goodell did with the exactly. spy yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like seven years of tough. just gone. Our very own yeah, if, all the, if all the evidence is gone, then like what we know is that JFK is dead. You know I mean? It's, it's, it seems like they're just like leaving a, like a crumb trail out there. The CAA, I think, JFK wanted to get rid of the CIA. Rain them in. I think they got involved with the Cubans. I really believe it. I, I am 100% in. I think there was two, at least two shooters. You could have talked me into three. And I think the CIA was like, we're taking this guy out. I, well, I've the, heard you talk about this before on various pods, but were you on this corner before or this, not new, as tro- firmly, this new trove has pushed you onto this corner? Not as firmly as, as, as I am now. And I also, I also think uh, it's just much easier to get away with stuff back then. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, you know, the one thing that these releases, these, you know, these government releases have have done is make the CIA look like a lot very suspicious, you know, conjecture aside all the CIA memos. I mean, it's the CIA. Any memo that you see is going to make you think that they're I mean, they are up to stuff. That's what the CIA They didn't need any help looking suspicious in the the 60s. But of course, the best. Yeah, exactly. But the best, you know, the, the best theory that's hardly even a conspiracy theory at this point is that, you know, when they say that they can't. There's certain documents are not releasing because there's, you know, certain people are still alive. Everybody immediately goes to George Bush Sr., right? Because he was involved with the CIA. He was there. And he, was, he and he's the head of the CIA. And he's the probably the most like one of the world's most famous, like, you know, hanging on well past his well past his due date, you know. He wasn't guys. the head of the CIA. Not at the yeah, time Hoover of no, but he was one. Yeah, of, but, but he was. But the theories that he was, he was an asset, and that he, he was. I mean, not Hoover, Richard, Richard Helms. Hoover, the FBI. At, at some point, the stink test just has to has to matter and so many things are fishy about this this is why people have been obsessed with it for you know 50 plus yeah. years but like 
How about the fact that all these different witnesses and people who are involved, their new stuff, all these people, it's like 30 people mysteriously died within five years of things that make no sense. Like Jack Ruby just miraculously got cancer and was dead. And he, you know, I, all these different crazy things. The, so the fact that there was a Chicago plot that got aborted, the fact that somebody called a London newspaper 25 minutes before this was in one of the documents. That was weird. Called that 25 was... minutes before and was like, something's going to happen in Dallas. They didn't say, they didn't say Dallas though, or they? Texas. They said there's going to be some big news called the American embassy. Yeah. It was, it was pretty, it was in Texas. I don't think so. It was pretty, it was pretty bland. Big news in America. <laughs> yes. Big news in America. Was it called the it was American embassy? That. I, I didn't think so. But I, 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 you've, you've obviously looked. Brian, you're a more skeptical guy than me. I'm so more what, what are you skeptical I've been, about? I've been in. I was, you know, I had a, I had a youthful period of cons- JFK conspiracy. We grew yeah. up uh, thirty miles <laughs> yeah, down the road. I was gonna say I, the Lee Harvey Oswald went to schools in Fort Worth. So that was kind of exciting. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I read the uh, case closed book, and I, and I mostly was out at that point. That was it. Yeah, that was, was that, that guy Gerald Posner. Gerald mm-hmm. Posner. He ruined it for you. He ruined it for Maybe me. Maybe he worked for the CIA. I did love in the new trope. <laughs> <laughs> I did uh, love in the new trope all the Castro conspiracy. I mean, they're not a conspiracy. Castro assassination plots, like oh, we're yeah. him the poison diving suit. That was weird, and it was the guy who Tom Hanks played in Bridge of Spies that they wanted to give the poison diving suit to Castro. Well, that's what? the other thing is we were trying to kill Castro and vice versa, and that's like another thing that came out in all sure. these documents, but. Here's my question. Answer me this one, Brian, Mr. Skeptical, Mr. (laughs) Gerald Posner Corner. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can answer it, but go ahead. Why, if, if, if all this stuff wasn't bad for America and bad for the CA and bad for all these people, why did they put all the files under embargo for 50 years? That was obviously a huge problem. I mean, you saw it. So one of the things that came out was Hoover said, you know, as soon as Ruby kills Oswald, Hoover says, this is going to be bad because everybody's going to think that Oswald didn't kill him. You right. know, this is going to be a plot. Is this like Hoover anticipated right. JFK conspiracy mania correctly? But in the files that were released last month, Hoover is basically obsessed with proving that it was only one shooter. Mm-hmm. Like they basically everything they did in the late sixties was geared toward them proving that Oswald was the only shooter and that all this stuff was a coincidence that went around. But the CIA was chasing Soviet and Cuban plots, right? I mean, immediately because of Oswald's yeah. residence in the Soviet Union and then the Mexico City thing, which has been a big right rabbit hole of this new drops. Uh-huh. His whole strange visit to Mexico City where he's speaking bad Russian and bad Spanish, oh, yeah. apparently, at the same time. Um they were really that they the CIA was immediately like, was is this a is this a Soviet plot? Yeah. Well, and then the Russians and some of the files that came out, the Russians were convinced that the CIA killed Kennedy. I mean, that was in one of the files. <laughs> yeah. The Russians were like, so that the Russians obviously have a million spies in America at that time. Everyone's spying on everybody. This happens. And the Russian intelligence that was sent back to Russia was the CIA killed Kennedy. I'm, That's a problem. So here's my corner. I don't believe there was a conspiracy to kill John F. Kennedy, but I love the conspiracy world of John F. Kennedy. Like, I love JFK. You're glad it exists. Yeah. Can I tell you a quick story? Please. Went went down to New Orleans with my wife. Yeah. Really nice couple's trip. My wife was pregnant, very, very pregnant. And I said, hey, Christine, I think David Ferry's grave is close to where we are. You went to David Ferry's grave? So we drove like 30 minutes out of the way. Uh, We found the cemetery. You know, you can find any cemetery, right? 
And yeah. my wife just happened to be dressed in uh, black that day. So we pull up and there's a little mortuary thing next because we don't know where the grave is, the big cemetery. And I said, can you just run in there and ask? So she walks into the uh, into the mortuary, pregnant and wearing black. And people just descend on her like, oh, my gosh, can we help you? I'm so sorry for your loss. And she's like, yeah, I'm looking for the grave of David Ferry. <laughs> And they're like, okay, okay. Like thinking she's like this grieving widow. And then the boy comes up to her like, did he die in 1965? You know? <laughs> Jesus. Well, we found it. It was on my Twitter profile for a while. So let's say that Trump, it comes out that Trump and the Russians, that this was so much worse than anybody thought. <laughs> well, let's do this. And, and they're like, Trump's going to be impeached. We're going to take all the files and intelligence we have for everything we found. And we're not going to release them until 2068. What would people's reaction be to that? They're horrifying. Yeah. We're going to wait 50 years to release all the information we have because it's that damaging. We're going to wait. We're going to just put it over here. 2068. That's when you're going to find out what happened. That's what they did with the JFK assassination. It was amazing. It's insane. It's just no, and half the stuff is like just stuff that's embarrassing, right? It's like tapes yeah. of Martin Luther King that they, you know, like surveillance of Martin Luther King, which is extremely embarrassing that that happened in American history, but it has nothing to do with this. Well, I think the stuff that the last wave of stuff that hasn't come out is going to be about, I don't know if it'll be about the assassination as much as the cover up of it and about all the things they did with the, <laughs> with the Zapruder pictures, with the autopsy photos throwing away witness testimony of this, that, or I think anything that helped the case that there wasn't just one shooter, I think they trashed or got rid of or discounted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's always time and time again, history has proven that's a terrible way to go about things, right? You don't, the cover up is always worse than the crime. Unless in this case, the crime is uh, a president was assassinated. Right. But if the crime, not worse than the crime in this case, but but if the, but if the answer was just that, you know, there was a lone shooter, in the book depository, but they still they still went wacky trying to like make sure the evidence only pointed towards that and nothing else, so that conspiracy theories didn't start up. Like that cover up is the is basically the origin story of all the conspiracy theories. Brian, do you feel like Dallas is kind of this is they don't feel responsible anymore, right? Yeah, this, I think, this was I think, a big shadow over Dallas for a couple of decades. It was. I there. think after J.R. Ewing and Troy Aikman and Dirk Nowitzki, we we're, we're, we moved on. Moved on. Right, I think I think that's nobody even probably. You'd have to be what sixty to even remember this happening. Mid, exactly. But there's a middle. There's a good middle aged core, especially the group around there, that remembers it happening, and is way into all this, all these stories. I'm old enough to remember when Reagan got shot. I was home from school. I was alone, and the NCAA championship was that night. (laughs) I think it was the Isaiah Thomas year when he won the title. Yeah, and came home there. The president's been shot. He got whisked into a car. We don't know if he's going to live or not. And these other people got shot. And shouldn't have played the game. Shouldn't have played the game. Carolina lost. They, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was in their oh, head. Wait, like, I thought Tate was going to make a moral argument. <laughs> no. Tate's still playing. That's this his last nice title. But it is. Can you believe they played the game? Kind of amazing. He was like, I, he was in uh, intensive care. Right. They're pulling bullets out of him. Yeah. That's pretty insane. Yeah. That would have not gone over well in 2017. The oh, outrage community would have, was shot. Yeah, the yeah. outrage community might have well, stepped wait, up. What year did that happen? 1981 or something? 1981. 1981. Also, the so, don't play the game takes would have been online in 10 seconds. Yeah. yeah but, in 19, but in 1981, what do you do? You just have like three newscasters sitting in a room talking about the fact that it happened? I mean, there's oh, like, yeah. there's that, barely yes. any. Huh? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. 
and suspect, you know, bio and, you know, Hinkley stuff. Uh, and yeah. Also, James Brady was shot, right? Like, there's yeah. just other stuff to talk about. Hey, we got to talk about Wish.com. Nice. Do you guys like buying stuff online? Yes. Of course. Why so, wouldn't you want to unleash on a global <laughs> marketplace? There is a trick. Good things come to those who wait. Wish.com. You go there. It's easy. I, I tried it. I went on. Just put in your login stuff, and you get just some incredible deals. It's I would describe it as Black Friday for patience. Just a lot of crazy deals, lower mm. product prices. All you have to do is download the Wish app, sign up, search for the latest fashions, makeup, home goods, electronics, over 150 million products. Sometimes they will be 60 to 90% off. No markups, no yearly fee, no middleman. No need to overpay again. It's even the official mobile shopping partner of the LA Lakers. Boo. If you can wish it, you can own it. And look, even if Wish is offering all new users a free gift with purchase, guess what? Dedicated Wish lovers do not have to worry about being left out. All of my listeners can get 20% off their purchase by using my code SIMMONS. So again, download, open your Wish app. I've done this. It's super easy. Find things that you didn't even know you needed. Enter my code Simmons for 20% off your purchase. Remember, if you can wish it, you can own it. Well, we knew ESPN layoffs were coming. They tried to pretend last spring that there wasn't any more coming this year. I think somebody even had a quote. This is it. So, it wasn't going to be it. So it's close to the process till me because I think we were expecting them in October. And well, usually it's the end of October is the budget cycle. And a source told me that because the Jamel Hill stuff was going on and the narrative was already these, you know, in a lot of places, DSPN, these people don't have our back, meaning management. Yeah. Um, that it was like, why don't we just do this next month? Why don't we just do this in November? Uh, because we already have enough turmoil here. Well, I was telling you that that's what happened to Grantland a couple of years ago. The end of 2000, uh, October 2015 is when they have to decide on the budget and that's when you put in promotions and all kinds of different things. And that's when you need to know how much money each department has, all that stuff. So, yeah, so they delayed it somehow for a month. So it looks like there's going to be about 100 layoffs, mostly um, talent and sports center this time around, which I, I'm not surprised to hear that, but still a, a bummer. Mm -hmm. A real bummer. I mean, it's just... And probably some website stuff, too, because I think the website has clearly geared toward... You know, just make sure you have one or two big pieces to lead with, and then the rest is videos. And yeah, remember when there was way, way too much to read on ESPN.com? Yeah, it's flipped. Like ten years ago, we couldn't keep up with yes. everything. It's really hard to find stuff now. Like Zach Lowe, you, he doesn't even have an archive. I went to read like really? his latest Zach Lowe piece, and then you click on it, it's just like his Twitter. And you'd have to like almost Google Zach Lowe pieces to go That's find weird. a Zach Lowe piece. That's yeah. really weird. I don't. I don't get it. They. It, they almost like. It seems like they're willingly trying to, not have people engage with specific writers other than a couple. This has got to be like one of the most sustained demoralizing periods, in that network's history. Yeah, man. The last. I mean, how how when did we want to backdate it to April when the first you know the last big layoff was, you know between that Jamel liberal ESPN, whatever nonsense. Yeah. Um, the NFL? Bar, I mean, everything with the NFL. NFL, Van Talk. Um, I mean... The Barstool one-episode show. Whew. 
I mean, what a period of just like the part I don't get is on the one hand, you're saying you're cutting back and these are different economic times. Our subs are going backward, all this stuff. But on the other hand, you're actually spending money. Like on Wednesday, they, the countdown show went to Boston. <laughs> I was on that show. It's expensive. You got to set up a set. You got to send travel. All the talents got first class. Like it's not, not cheap to go on the road. Like the finals, I think when we went on the finals and, uh, or the last two rounds, it was like over a million bucks. How about it was probably more than that. Yeah. So even if you go to Boston, that's, I don't know, 50 grand, 60 grand, but like you're doing that, you're spending money on debt, you're bringing new people in, but then you're also gutting sports center at the same time. Like how is it really, it's not layoffs. It's about they're restructuring what they're spending so, money on. It's yeah, not it's layoffs. Resource allocation. I mean, they're building the giant studio in downtown Manhattan. And I was going to say, talk about expensive. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you know, re you know, putting a lot of stuff in New York. That's another thing that's going to be expensive. But that, but that's my point is like, these aren't layoffs. These are resource reallocations. And they're basically saying like, our business has changed. We don't need these people anymore. We'd rather spend their money on these people, which is a different thing than layoffs. They would probably make the case. Yeah. I mean, they would probably make the case that these, you know, these are separate silos and that these decisions are made separately. Um, But yeah, I mean, that, that's certainly the way it looks. And I don't think there's any way to really talk around that. What is ESPN five years from now, Brian? Do they have football? I, it's so hard for me to believe that they would unplug, even with the Miller thing. And Miller's Miller's so sourced up that I assume that is not written. Yeah, he got complete, tipped off on that one. It's probably not written out of his head. So it's Jim Miller for the Hollywood Reporter right. wrote about uh, what if ESPN unplugs from Monday night, but then gives the NFL a couple hundred million to get highlights, highlights and stuff for the all you can eat buffet. I mean, that's we we talked about. They would never unplug because they would ne- they they just need the highlights to just feed everything right. And that's he's what he's essentially doing is proposing a way that you just would be able to do that. But what but what do you want ESPN for if you don't have the if you don't have NFL games? I mean, what what are we getting down to now? We got the NBA, mm-hmm. that's must watch. A lot of regular season baseball. But what's the must watch? Well, I don't even know the studio shows aren't must watch anymore. Well, that's the part I understand. The regular season baseball is what I would have jumped off of. I would have kept football, college, yeah. and, and bas- college football, college basketball, college, football, and basketball. College football is huge, right? Yeah. That's unmissable. That's for most, for a lot of people, that's, that's their huge. entire Saturday. Mm-hmm. And it's great because you can plug it off. All, all, you have games on all your networks. You it, stuff late at night, right? You have big primetime games. But like, what if you, I just, I just, it's, it would be really scary to me to unplug from the NFL because then we're just getting to like, this is just a cable, you know, it's just a cable. Thing. I would exactly. argue though that the Monday night thing, do you think the Monday night package matters like it did 15 years ago? No, I, don't think I mean, it does. just not it's at all. It's always the worst games of the week. Uh, I, it's, it's weird. It's weird to me, I guess, from a conceptual level that they'd be laying people off. If we're going to put it all, you know, all of these, the spending in one, one pile, that you know, they've just announced all these changes to what's their new platform going to be? ESPN Plus, the new like streaming thing, and Disney's obviously launching their new streaming platform. It seems like there is, you, you there you can make the argument that there is increased revenue potential around the corner, but you're laying everybody off now. What so you like kind of start with a clean slate? I mean, that part's a little bit weird. But the problem for ESPN is when you get into the streaming world, yeah, you're com- you're not competing with just other streaming platforms. You're competing with Sunday Ticket. You're complete competing, you know, with the NBA app, with MLB. I mean, those things already exist out there for big fans. So it's it's hard to imagine what the what the channel is going to look like. I remember when they were talk- talking about um, before they re-signed the big deal for NBA rights. I remember hearing some of the higher ups, like the higher higher ups, talk about we should get the le- we're going to try to get the league pass, yeah, and own that. 
And I don't know whether they didn't offer enough or whatever, but that actually would have been really smart because they could have built their whole ESPN business. Or the what, What's that ESPN app going to be called? I think ESPN Plus, but I don't... I don't That's I don't, a shitty name. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, this is the problem. Like ESPN Bronze. something. Every single, I mean, every single, you know, TV channel network, whatever, that's transitioning to this space is making the same mistake that, like, you know, magazines did when they were building websites 15 years ago. It shouldn't be ESPN anything. It's ESPN. This is the future of your channel. Right. Don't, like, give it a funny different name to try to make it seem more vital or, I mean... You know. it's, biz- it's a bizarre decision to do it that way. I, gu- I guess they're so worried about the cable fees. There's that. By the way, here's the other thing with sports rights. We just, you and I have seen our whole lives. Networks, the, from the big networks, we're out. We can't, we can't afford it anymore. This is just, these, these fees have gotten crazy. NBC, I think, was the most recent to just go all out pre-Sunday Night Football, right? Yeah. Like just down to the Olympics, basically. And that's when they did the they XFL. Lost and a NBA of, and they lost NFL. Yeah, and they did the XFL and a lot of cheapo stuff, right? And then they have some arena and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, you look around, look around at your schedule, look around, have anything on you. Oh, we're back in, baby. You know, and, and, and they're like, Sunday Night Football, renew those Olympics deals at huge money. You know, let's, let's, let's crawl back into this thing. And I just think you can have a moment where you pull out, but you always come back. Everybody comes back eventually. Hmm. See, it does seem like sports matters, you know, this fractured world we live in now with, with content and, you know, you look at the TV now that Thrones is done, nobody's really watching the same show. Stranger Things might be the closest. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's, even close to that Thrones level, but everybody's just splintered all over the place. And then you have the NBA show up and it's like, you know, Houston's playing Cleveland last night. People well, know that game's happening. And- there, there's a real market, I think, in in an era where you can have every, where every, you have access to everything at the same time. The real market is for to, to be a good curator. And ESPN could do that. You know, a lot of websites do that by directing you towards certain TV shows to watch, like TheRinger.com or movies or whatever. We, we, we pick our, we make our choices sort of by what we cover. Yeah. And ESPN, that's sort of been their role. The highlights that they show are the games that matter. But, you know, I mean, I don't I, I don't I can't even wrap my head around what that would be in 10 years. Is that do they ha- do they just like selectively get the rights to the games you need to be watching right at that moment and show you that? Is it like a red zone channel for all the sports in the world? I, I don't know. I don't know. But it's going to be something different. It seems like if they don't have the league pass of any of these leagues, it's really tough to pull off this idea unless, yeah. you know, you would have to really develop some digital talent. They don't have the mechanism to do that. Probably the closest they had was actually what we had with Grantland with some of the stuff we were trying with Mm -hmm. podcasts and videos where we were just trying stuff and seeing what worked. They don't really have the mechanism to do that now. So if you're going to digital, you have to be a little more creative and proactive. Think of all the shit we're trying at the ringer these days. Like they don't really have the mechanism to do that right now. That's what was so weird about the van talk thing. Cause I was like, the whole thing was like, we need cool guys who kind of work in that digital space. Right. Yeah. Weirdly, we're going to put them on TV, but we need the, that's the idea. But like, don't you have people that could do that if given the right tools? And if, if you don't, you hire the wrong people. Yeah. But that's the thing is they hired, you know, a lot of the people they have are old school, traditional people who are anchors and sideline reporters and, mm-hmm. um, or reporters turned into talking heads and things like that. It's, it's, uh, they have not tried to find that young kind of talent people like tate the host of one shining podcast oh my god i'm a reporter tate's, tate's, i was a reporter turned podcaster <laughs> that's right you, you were what were you reporting beat reporting 
back in college. Look at that. Time. See, Tate was reporting on the beat every day. They had a column with the Globe for a while, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Before we turned him into a podcast guy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The um, also just the whole the whole Barstool thing was fascinating to me because it was like we need to be cool again, right? We've seen spasms of this happen at ESPU. You Bill nods sagely. Um, wh- what is going to be cool? What's what is what is cool on ESPN and what will be cool? Like what can they point to? <laughs> At this moment, 2017. It's worth pointing out, since you mentioned Barstool, that they announced today that they acquired a like an Appalachian like like low rent boxing league called Rough and Ready, I think, which is just sort of a gag, but it's just dudes punching each other in like headgear and boxing boxing gloves. That sounds like and, their uh, aesthetic. Yeah, it's oh sorry, rough and rowdy, and the and the, it's not and it's the letter N, and uh, but it's and it's like it's such a gag, but like you look at it and halfway through the teaser trailer, you're like, oh yeah, this makes more sense on a Twitter video than anything ESPN has rights to. Yeah, <laughs> other than like dunks. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what that I don't know what that motto is going forward. I still think they're going to be fine. The Sports Center thing was coming all decade. Yeah. And and it's coming drips and drabs. It's coming drips and drabs, and even even this year they tried to recreate it again with Sports Center AM. It's morning Sports Center. It's like all right, it's it's I I don't know what this is, and I watched all the highlights last night, but good luck. I had somebody tell me it's like you know everybody says we just want highlights, just like the old ESPN. It's like and somebody somebody there was like, look at the ratings when we just do highlights. Just look at what happens when there's no polit- quote unquote political content, when there's no people arguing on stuff. Just look at what happens when we do highlights. Nobody cares. Yeah. No, nobody but wants people to watch the highlights. That. I watched the highlights last night when I got home from dinner. Yeah, I, but, I went and watched all the basketball highlights. But like the Sports Center AM thing, you know, yeah. stage deals. Yeah, like, yeah. We're not we're not doing politics on here. We're not doing this just like, yeah, no, okay, whatever. Well, what are you doing? Yeah, and that's what I mean. What's, highlights. What's the hook? So you're doing highlights that I watched eight hours ago. I just I just don't I don't get it. I don't get it either. I, I would rather watch people eat breakfast. Wow. Just have chefs. You think we could have people, that? Just people eating, dipping French toast. <laughs> well, I think like we said, we talked about this on the press box at some point, but it's almost like like you're talking about the digital space that EST, ESPN is reluctant to move into for whatever, not, not just being on digital, but hiring these talents and all this kind of stuff. It's like, if I had to reimagine what morning sports center would be, it would be like a YouTube reaction video. It would be somebody eating their breakfast, watching the highlights and you get their reaction to it. I mean, that's what the, that's what people go like watch on YouTube right now. Well, what's funny is they had a big reorg in this guy, Norby, who was there when I was there, who got phased out during the last few years I was there. And, you know, as sports center kind of cratered a little bit at this decade, he was one of the people in charge of it. One of the people running the uh-huh. meetings and how do we fix sports center? And it was always like, you're having meetings about how to fix sports center, but everyone in this room is, you know, partially responsible for why we have to fix sports center. But now he's in charge of all their studio production again. They'd circled back. They didn't even go yep. outside the company to try to find somebody. And if, yeah. if that's your mentality, you're, you're in trouble. And there were people I talked to within who were, who were close to the ESPN who said, we think Norby right now is our best hope. Right. You know, because there are think there are options that are worse. It's and like the, Ram, the Rams brought back Jeff Fisher. What? Yeah. It's, um, I, you know, it's a funny one. I was talking to, to Michael and Jamel. Like, the first thing they said is, why don't we not call the show SportsCenter? Right. Why, why don't we just take SportsCenter out of the title Can't. and minimize it? SportsCenter pays the bills. Because mm-hmm. we're worried that SportsCenter right now is, you know, less of a live thing than it is a big nostalgia problem that you put on our heads. Yeah. 
when we talk about, you know, and all it does is make people mad that it's not Dan and Keith 1996. And, you know, I've heard this argument, though. You're talking about a whole generation of people now who never even saw Dan and Keith. Well, oh, yeah. Tate, did you ever even see Dan and Keith through a sports center? Yeah. How old were you? Like three? Yeah, I was like five, yeah, five, six, seven. Yeah, it's not like you're thinking back nostalgically. You're yeah. probably like sitting in a no, diaper. But, but so, nostalgia is even more powerful Stuart when you Scott, want. You know, that whole, Stu that Scott. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, so it's Stu like, it's like Carson, though, right? You know, it's yeah. like yes. people just like the glory days of the Tonight Show, and there were, you know, three when nostalgia it was Nostalgia is so much more powerful when you weren't even there to watch it. It's I mean, you're like an like a, a Saturday Night Live aficionado, right? But, but, yes. but like if people, most of the time when you hear people talking about the glory days of SNL, they're thinking of like, you know, highlight packages on YouTube of like wild and crazy guys sketches. They don't know. They weren't there watching all the bad sketches True. too. It's, I mean, nostalgia is about, I mean, it, it, it's, it resonates because you have these fond memories, but modern nostalgia is just, is a memory for a thing that you were never present for. Maybe that's what they should do with sports centers. Make everybody dress up like they did in yes. like 1988. <laughs> just get Olbermann back, put him in a false mustache, and just have him and in like a bad suit. They did old that clothes. one. Didn't they do that decades, like a 50 sports or 60 sports? Maybe they should just make all the old graphics, bring, up, bring all that stuff. Uh, announcer shelf lives, want to talk about quickly? Yeah. One of the great Bill theories of all time. You've, I, have you written this? I, I did a little bit about it today. Um, I just thought the Romo thing was really illuminating. Yeah. He's really good. He's fresh, but he also just played. And sure, he, he knows what he defenses can bring look things like. in from. I played these guys last year, and they did this. Like it's, he's why we're doing that Cowboys game, and uh, last week that he's doing, and he knows the offense because he ran yeah. the offense eleven months ago, or thirteen months ago, whatever yeah. you know. And he's played with Des Bryant. He's like, oh that, oh I used to love when Des went across the middle like that, and he would wait and he would turn back, and it's like, yeah, this is awesome. You weren't. You didn't retire 28 years ago, and you're still telling me what happened. So, what's your shelf life? What's the number? I think that I think it. You have to be like a Collinsworth to last like six years after you've played. So it's like a. It's I think like, it's six years. Okay. I think that's after like, six years, you have to be somebody that's studying tape constantly, talking to people, and really working hard because at that point, you're more of a fan with expert knowledge than an right. ex-player. And that's also maybe the case for the th- for the three man booth. If you're if you're like setting these like God rules about how we do it, maybe Collinsworth gets to stay after six years, but they but they rotate in a Tony Romo to sit next to him, who's more familiar with the details of what they're playing right now. Right. It's just that there's a laziness now. I notice it whenever, um, you know, you really notice it the most when somebody's doing the game for your own team. Oh yeah. Like I know the Celtics more than I know just about anything. Mm-hmm. I've watched every Celtic game. There's nothing you can tell me about the Celtics that I don't know. And they're doing the game on Wednesday night, and they're like, ah, the Celtics miss Al Horford. But they're not explaining why they miss Al Horford. (laughs) It's not just that he's good and he's 14 points a game. It's like the whole offense runs through the movement that he gives them. And the little pick and pops with Kyrie and his ability to pass from the high post and his ability to stretch the floor. Like, you're not explaining. How many announcers could say that? How many ounces would you be able to say? But it's not hard. Mark Jackson coached four years ago. Like, what? explain to me why Al Horford's important. Don't just say he, they miss him. Wow. But the way, the they, way people just talk the laziness about is Mark Jackson's crazy. an extreme example. His shtick is sort of laziness. Even when well, he was, even bad, when he was good. I think he's a smart basketball guy. I think it's not that hard to stay at that level. <clears throat> and especially, I have a real problem with people who coached and want to coach again announcing. Because mm-hmm. I think they hold back. Danny Ainge was like the litmus test for this because... 
when he was announcing he just destroyed Antoine Walker and yeah. then became the Celtics GM and had to trade Antoine Walker. Antoine Walker was like, fuck this guy. And I think all these guys, this is what you watch Gruden now. And Gruden is not going to say anything about anybody. He's not going to criticize any coach or any quarterback. He's never wow. coming back. It's been so long. Yeah, that's just. I still that, think he might come that back. That might though. be Gruden's personality. I think Mark Jackson is actually the reverse, is, is weirdly a reverse example because he's after the last two or three coaching cycles where he's clearly never going to get a job again outside of like the G League or something. I think he, he just I think he gets a job again. He just, I, I think he's just given up. I don't think he cares to impress anybody anymore. I think, someone, nice will ta- I think someone will talk themselves into him. Uh, no, somebody will talk. He it, was, he was a per- I could see him being the Bucks if, coach. If you're a fan, maybe, maybe. I think if you're a Mark Jackson fan, there were so many perfect landing spots for him that have come and gone. The great exception, of course, is Madden, right? He didn't want to go back. Yeah. Like, that no. job almost killed me. I'm going to be an announcer. I'm all in. And he was great. And he was great way beyond six years. But I think Romo is this generation's Madden. And wow. I actually think Romo will do the work. I think as he gets further and further out of the game, I think he's just a football fan. And he loves it. And he wants to. He's curious. I yeah. think you have to be curious as an announcer. I don't. I'm not hearing with most of these guys. I'm not hearing a curiosity. Like. I just don't think Troy Aikman's a curious guy. I think he shows up, he knows who the quarterbacks are for each team mm-hmm. and generally what they do, and he just says enough to get by and yep. he doesn't want to actually say anything. Collinsworth is curious. Collinsworth is he super wants curious. To understand and yeah. loves it in on. the moment. He's like, oh my God, look at this. Kirk Herbstreet, college football. Kirk Herbstreet's another one. Joel Klatt in college football. Those guys are really curious. Like, I want to understand what these teams are doing. Like, I want to know the state of the art. Stop. So I was saying, I thought Paul Pierce, who I think, mm. who I thought was going to be really good on the studio, and I, I think it might be the wrong format for him because he's he's kind of too hot takey. Yeah, he just throws shit out, and then Chauncey Billups is now put in the position of being like the disapproving school teacher. Of come on, Paul, you can't say that. Which you can't do that because eventually you're going to undermine the credibility. But I think if he was in games. And he did the work, and he's being well, entertaining, and he's sitting right on the court getting into it. You know, C-Web, C-Web's like 80% there, but there's a 20% that's missing, and I can't figure out what's missing with him. And that just may be him, right? So I think these might, are... Might be, well, I mean, just well, think he, it was him as a player, too. There's a combination of color guys, right? It's what they are, what they bring to the table, that yeah. natural, but then there's a production element. And sometimes the production element can fix the 20%, and I think it's sometimes it's just the guy. Like, that's what he is. Wait, and, let me let me just ask ask this. A slight, slight sidebar here. What... We're, we were just talking about how ESPN is, you know, part of their failure is not being able to find, like, explore the new digital space. Yeah. Why are we talking about these guys as traditional color guys or play-by-play guys? Wouldn't you rather just hear, have, like, an audio feed of the Area 21 set with KG and Bonzi Wells and Paul Pierce talking shit? That's, but that's that's where this stuff should be going. They should be using that ESPN Plus, and it should be like, we're going to, there's a Celtic yeah. Laker game tonight. Here are regular announcers, and then on ESPN Plus, you can get Paul Pierce. Yeah. And he's over here, and he's going to do the game with Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen, and a bottle of Belvedere vodka. Just like, just <laughs> yeah. go. It's a it's a great point. I always thought the sports, the play by play guy, and the newscaster have been pretty similar figures in you know our culture. Uh-huh. Yeah, the newscaster's gone like way down, and the play by play guy is still this huge guy who makes tons of money and is like you know Jim Nance, Joe Buck, those Al Michaels, right? Those guys are on a giant pedestal. I do. If you've ever watched college football national championship, there's a lot of yes. roundtable-y stuff. Roundtable gets a little old Round after a while. If you yeah, have like it's, nine it's guys in the room, it's interesting for like a, like well, a there series. There should never be more than three. But even then, like you want somebody who's locked in on play just happened. I can explain to yeah. you exactly what happened. A producer's in my ear. He's showing me a replay. Like guys calling. And I'm looking at the replay already. I'm going to get my Telestrator pen out and we're going to go. Like 
there is something lost when you don't have that. Why, why wouldn't we have more announcer choices, though? Oh, I totally in agree. 2000, it's, just causing, it's, just, it's just more commentary money. tracks. 2018 yeah. coming up. This is something I wished... Uh, I think the WWE Network could do this. Yeah. And we should talk about them because they, they've been the smartest with seeing a lot of where this stuff's going. And you and I wrote... When was that? Grandland 2014? A long time ago, yeah. About when the, the potential launched. of that website with or uh, the app with all the old matches and where's this going but like you know you there should be five different announcer teams on that wrestling thing you and Mm -hmm. rosenberg should be one of the five announcing crews the job accepted (laughs) uh yeah no i mean they yeah certainly when they launch the network and they use a lot of the infrastructure from mlb's over the top channel um but yeah, when they launched it, it was a—I mean, it was a big deal. It was a—it was a big step forward. I think they were there was talk that Disney was looking into buying them for a while, and I think a lot of that interest was solely based on the existence of the WWE Network, because now we see Disney wanted to build one of their own, and they—they they could have had that. Um, but yeah, there's still there's still a lot of there's still a lot of just like easy opportunities, like the multiple announcers thing. That that I mean, just try shit, just try just, stuff out. Yeah, why not have Jim Ross back for every pay per view and like let people just like pay him via Patreon and see how much money he makes? You know, or you if we, why not put the same game on ESPN one and ESPN two and just do what they do in that one college football day? Just do that every Friday night on NBA. And yeah. by the way, in, do we don't we need to enforce Simmons term limits on wrestling announcers? Remember the oh, well, kings. That's... The king had six great years, and then there were like you know they, twenty yeah. more. Well, the I mean, the you know, pro- right? Jesse Ventura. I mean, like yes. they have they have six. They probably have five or six great years in them. I the agree. brain, the brain, except I agree. But that's not as that's not exactly the same argument because it's not like being immediately removed from a wrestling career gives you more insight to what's going on in the ring. It's just a matter of complacency. After after five or six years, you're just well, not fun anymore. But I think that's what Billy's Bill's talking about, right? Like. By the way, the your term the thing I like about term limits is because we forget guys were good. Remember how everybody yeah. forgot Sims was good? Yeah, Sims had a Sims great run. Really Sims in the booth is like, yeah, a, Tim McCarver's another one. He probably had more than six great years, but he like he had a good run, you know, locally and even nationally. And then by the end, he was just people were tired of him and <laughs> mad at him and all this stuff. The best thing that's happened is Smoltz and Romo have been so good that I think it's going to push people to to be reevaluate. better. Yeah, just like. These are two guys that enhance the game. And not only enhance the game, but they've invigorated their play-by-play guys. Buck was never better than he was in that last postseason. I thought he was fantastic. And Jim Nance, who I had completely given up on as a play-by-play guy, Romo's kind of pulled it out. It's almost like watching somebody with a second wife or something. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, you're you're in great shape. You've lost some weight. You seem so happy. Just what would think of what he was doing with Sims at the end. And Sims he was, was like, his like, brain shut off. Was checked out. By the way, this is my only drawback of your theory. I just looked it up. The six-year-old Pat Summerall should have retired in 1968. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Pat, Do you think that's a problem? Pat, we can't compare him to normal human beings. So. <laughs> yeah, like we 1968. Can't. He started in 62 with CBS. Yeah, I mean, I think the play-by-play guys are getting smarter too, or at least the role that they're playing is getting smarter. Joe Buck, Joe. I mean, I've always loved Buck and Aikman because they because they sound right. Like if yeah. I'm not if that if, if my primary attention isn't on listening to the play-by-play, I'd I would I would choose them as my announce team over because it just feels like a football game. What's your dream WWE team? Ooh, all time, all time, all time? yeah, all time. Um, I mean, it's really hard to go against. Uh, I I think that peak Jr. and peak Paul Heyman 
were only good. I mean, only we're only together at their peak for a. I mean, obviously they were only together at all for a very brief window in WWF. But the, but I think that there's a kind of perfect announced team there. Um, but also, you know. Gorilla and Bobby were, I mean, Bobby Heenan were just I saw that so Gorilla great. and Jesse. Gorilla and Jesse, Jesse were really Jesse, before good. he started to become a little self-parody, he had like about 18 great months with Gorilla. Gorilla Jesse, ter- Jesse was also real racist. <laughs> so we, I was talking to my talking to my girlfriend about this <laughs> the, the other time? day. Jesse Bobby Ventura, as, as, even yeah. elected as a novelty, could never get elected mayor of any state right now because it would just be an endless reel of him. Search Tito Santana. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Everything he said during the match. He only referred to him as Chico Santana. I mean, they, he referred to... The 1980s were not kind for <laughs> but wrestling. I mean, uh, that's, that's wrestling in general. You could, yeah. put, you could put together a low-light reel of Bobby mi- Heenan, too. I mean, how about say. the entire Macho Man story? Storyline. Uh oh, he's having problems with Miss Elizabeth again. Don't hit her. Like that was like the vibe of that character. Oh yeah. Oh god. Uh oh. Get somebody save her. Yeah. I'm gonna say that's not gonna fly now in 2017. Yeah, that would not have been when he when he goes backstage after he and Hogan had the when the when the mega powers had their breakup. Hogan, He's berating her in the. Yeah, Hogan bed. carried Elizabeth backstage, and one of the overlooked moments of that is like he shoves Miss Elizabeth off camera when they're in the locker room. Oh yeah, and there is no prep for this that doesn't. I mean, that, that makes it any better. He just he it looks like he shoves her, and she flies like thirty feet through the air yeah. across the screen. It's insane. I was scared for her the entire nineteen eighties. Yeah, well, that's you should have been. That's the nineteen eighties wrestling. I also, I mean, the junkyard dog, I, I think, has not aged well. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Yeah, that da- character da- is not, like dancing yeah. in the ring not, after the just a yeah. guy coming out with a dog collar. I, I don't. There's a lot of there's issues some, with there's that some one. baggage. Yeah, yeah. The Ric Flair doc. What was your final grade? Who I resisted giving it a letter grade. I mean, I thought it was good. I thought that they just. I mean, it, it's like I feel the way like I feel after a you know WrestleMania card. I'm really excited for it's just like it was it was too much and they set their sights too high and they but for what they you know for what they were kind of tasked with it was it was really good and fun. I'll, I'm sure I'll rewatch it 20 times. I thought it had 30 pretty excellent minutes. Yeah, and then I thought the last part dragged because I think there's just no there there to flare. Like yeah. he's a, he was a great character. I'm no, he's, I loved him as a wrestler, but as a person, like he doesn't have any regrets. He doesn't really have any deep thoughts about any of this. He's just kind of like, you know, I turned to this guy and had a great time and drank a ton and horn dogged around. And that's my life. And they had too much space. I mean, we talked about this on, on the mass man show on press box yesterday. I mean, they just, but they, they just had too much to cover. They literally started his adoption as a baby and went through more or less the present day. And the interesting things like to me, the interesting things like the plane crash, uh, all the way through till his moment of like great, they, they kind of said the moment of self doubt. He was clearly like massively depressed before he made his WWE comeback and joined evolution. Yeah. Like those are cool things. I'd like to see more of that set it, let alone, I would love to see an hour on Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes done, but you know, done in a really good way. Um, there was just so that. much stuff. There's so much stuff left on the table, but that's I, what you. I haven't do. seen it yet, but I I know what the construct was. Yeah, I I think I don't know if I had been involved in trying to help shape it. I think you tell the story of Ric Flair through the history of like those types of guys in wrestling. Yeah. And those those blonde, there you, you go. know, going back to Nature Gorgeous Boys. George, yeah. and like he was the legacy of that, and it was this that those guys are kind of gone now, but for whatever reason, that was the trope that carried wrestling for forty years, and then he became the best at it, um, See, and made it eighties right with the private plane and the yeah, and yeah the, and he the, made it more the flamboyant to the ninth degree version of it, but on yeah. top of that was also like the best guy to have him. Did it go into that? 
how he was just like the best guy to have a match with, the best guy at selling sure, the other a guy. Bit, yeah. yeah. Those are really the two most interesting things about Ric Flair. I don't I never really cared about what his life was like. Yeah, I mean I think him yeah, I think him I think I said did I say this on the podcast yesterday? Just like to me the angle is just like the best wrestler in the I mean, of this generation because did it didn't matter that he was ever in WWE, sort of. You know, I mean he was just sort of wrestling in anonymity to half the country and he was the best wrestler in the world by any estimation. Hmm. Was it an hour and a half? Yeah, I was at one seventeen yeah. without commercials. The oh thing we watched. Also, by the way, just a certain sameness creeping into all sports documentaries, but also particularly thirty for thirty violins. Wrestler in an, empty, in, an em, in an empty arena with smoke yeah. coming up, and I'm just like, I just feel I've seen this vocabulary of documentaries it. It was so ni- much. As a, as a wrestling fan, it was nice to see a shift from the WWE vocabulary of, uh, I mean, like they they have a hundred great documentaries on the network that are, that I've watched and enjoyed them all, but it's all, it's all just like more of a lo-fi version of that. The, 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 the film studio is not as good instead of like the violin strains. It's like old West piano music behind everything. Like it's like, yeah, this is, this was nice for a change. And I think as a wrestling fan, just its existence is like a wonder. It feels like a wonderful victory. The doc, it's been 20 years since the Montreal screw job. And there's been docs made about that, but not, at well, the highest level who, that you could, that could be like the Montreal screw job could be incredible. Barry Blaustein is working on something else. I don't know what it is, but he's back in wrestling. Really? Yeah. Clippers fan. Um, all right, fellas, Brian, what are you working on next? I don't know. I'm going to go meet uh, with Sean Fennison and see what he wants next. Okay. What are you working on shoemaker? Um, well, I mean, what am I working on writing next? It'll probably be something to do with the survivor series, which is right around the corner and is, uh, is absolutely nuts. WWE is just throwing that's everything a, at the wall right now. That's Pick- the Troy Aikman of pay-per-views. <laughs> it peaked 12 years ago. <laughs> they're trying stuff to their, to their great credit. They, they, they're trying stuff. They're, they're, they're trying like they're, they're at the, they're at the, you know, we're not saving anything for WrestleMania phase right now. We're just you doing know, everything. You the MVP of the Andre, the giant duck. I know he's been, he's like literally the MVP. He's modest, he's the glue guy. He's modest. But when he tells me about, you know, just stuff he's doing, I get that sense. I'm worried. He would never say that. I'm but. worried. He's, it's going to change him. It's not going to change. He's a human me. being. The I've fame already, of the Andre, the giant doc who, is going to Who knows change what him. the final cut of this documentary is going to look like. But the last one, there was a thing, there was a point where I started a sentence and, and uh, Jerry, the King Lawler finished the sentence. Oh and that God. was just like, I'm done. Like that's yeah. it. I can retire. That's great. That is amazing. That is amazing. It's pretty good. It's a good one. All right. Thanks, fellas. Uh, Simply Safe. They protect your home and family with an HD security camera, motion, glass break, entry sensors. They have everything. Order online in minutes. Get it that week. Set it up in under an hour. No tools, no hard wiring. You'll be protected 24 7 for just $14.99 a month. Right now, they have a special pre holiday sale for all my listeners. Visit simplysafebs.com right now to check it out. Simply Safe with two eyes. Hurry this offer. And soon, don't forget about SeatGeek. BSNBA is the offer code if you want $20 off the first time you buy NBA tickets. Don't forget about their pre- their podcast, The Press Box, on Channel 33, and also Tate's new podcast, One Shining Podcast. Tate, Tate wasn't really, he was kind of checked out during this one, I felt like. You're working on other stuff. You're on eBay buying North Carolina stuff. What do you mean? I, I felt like you were engaged. I, there's I a lot going on in my life. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on. His, his girlfriend's living here now. It's got a lot going on. Still, still editing podcasts. People, people don't think I do that. I edit podcasts all the time. <laughs> <laughs> my name is my name. Uh, so yeah, one shining podcast. Check that out. And uh, my column on the ringer.com. Old school mailbag. Talked about a whole bunch of fun stuff. Um, 
There it goes. Coming back next week, we have Cousin Sal on Monday. Tanahasi Coates on Wednesday. Ooh. He was in studio and he was uh, fantastic. So very looking forward to running that one. And another one on Friday. That's it. Enjoy the weekend.